Hey there, it's the NPR Politics Podcast. I'm Tamara Keith. I cover the White House. And if it wasn't for this next voice, it's quite possible I never would have gotten the chance to cover the White House. President Carter said that he is committed to a universal, comprehensive plan that will provide basic health coverage to all Americans. But Carter the hearings have been about more than the sale of arms to Iran and the diversion of funds to the Contras. The events surrounding the Iran-Contra affair have been about two different... Then what happens? Well, it's most likely that there are not enough votes in the House of Representatives to impeach the president. That's Cokie Roberts. Cokie, along with Nina Totenberg and Linda Wertheimer, paved the way for women to cover politics. They're known as the founding mothers of NPR and established our network not just as a serious news organization, but as a place that lifted up new voices. Cokie gave me and a lot of other aspiring journalists good advice along the way. So what is a woman's place? For most women, it's many places different places at different times. For almost all women, it's the place of nurturer, whether for the planet or one small creature on it. We've learned it from our mothers, both in word and deed. We teach it to our daughters in the knowledge that they must carry on the culture and care for it. Even as they go forward in this new millennium, knowing things we never knew, they will be connected back to those women in Marathon Greece, From that continuity, they will derive the strength to make their place wherever they think it should be. Cokie passed away a few years ago from breast cancer. And her husband, Steve Roberts, a renowned journalist in his own right, is out with a new book about her legacy. And I am here both with Nina and Steve Roberts. Steve is the author of Cokie, A Life Well Lived. Thanks Thanks for being with us. Pleasure, Tam. So I wanted to know... You, you've written two books with your wife. What made you decide to write this book about Cokie Roberts? Well, you know, uh, people ask me all the time, what is it like being a guy married to such a famous woman? And I, my answer is, you know, if I had a problem with it, I wouldn't have spent two years writing a book about her. Right? <laughs> um, the more I got into it, the more I realized that there were really two Cokies and two stories, you know, and the more familiar one is the story about how so many young women uh, for generation heard her on public radio or watched her on TV and said, I can be that smart. I can be that strong. I can be myself. And that was a marvelous legacy. But that was the public Cokie. The private Cokie, which Nina knew uh, very well, was a woman who did something good for somebody else every single day of her life. And it was these private acts of friendship and charity and loyalty that in some ways, as I did the book, became even more important to me. And for a very simple reason, not everybody can be a TV star or radio star like Koki or Tamara or Nina, but everybody can be a good person. And everybody can learn something from Koki's private life that they can apply to their own. And I had one of her friends um, say, I, you know, I'm not going to have one of those bracelets that said WWJD, what would Jesus do? I want one that says WWCD, what would Koki do? And I think a lot of her friends felt the same way. And that's really the main message I wanted to convey in the book. I think a day doesn't go by that I don't think, what would Cokie do? And because she was such a good person, she would give me a pass sometimes. Sometimes I say, I'm too just too tired to do that. I need to take care of myself here for this afternoon. And she would have said, go for it, girl. You know, you can do it tomorrow. And if you can't, you'll make up for that. She was such... 
a human, giving, loving person. And Steve and Nina, I want you both to reflect on how Koki came to NPR and sort of the the struggle that she had for the early part of her career to be accepted as a woman in journalism. Steve, you write about for a long time she was she was your she was your wife. She was sort of the trailing spouse. <laughs> well, it, for eleven years and four moves, um, we got married in 1966. We moved four times from my job to New York, California, Europe, back to Washington. Uh, she always worked uh, part-time jobs in those places, but um, I've told this story many times, and it does involve Nina. Um, I came back to the uh, Washington Bureau of the New York Times, fall of 77. I've given a desk. I sit down. I look around. There's a young woman sitting next to me, and I recognize. I introduce myself. She said, her name is Judy Miller. And I said, I don't recognize your byline. Where did you used to work? And she said, National Public Radio. And I said, what's that? Because NPR had been in existence for six years, but we had been in Europe for four of those years, and I just didn't know. And Koki was very unhappy about being back in Washington. She wanted to stay abroad. She knew once we got back uh, to town that we'd never leave, which of course turned out to be true. So um, I said to Judy, what's public radio? And she started explaining it to me. And I said, wait, that sounds like the perfect place for my wife to work. What do I do? I've got this wife crying herself to sleep every night in Bethesda. And she said, call my friend Nina Totenberg. And I called Nina and she said, I know who you are. And I know who Koki is. Get me her resume tomorrow. And at that point, the NPR offices, New York Times offices were only about a block or two apart. And I walked over. And this was the first time, Tam, that I saw the old girls network at work where women like Nina and women like Linda could help other women in the ways men had always done. I think we felt very much lucky, ultimately, that we had broken the glass ceiling, and very few women at that moment had, and that it was our responsibility to make sure that other people had a chance to do that too. And, you know, it's very different from today. Uh, my motto then, and, and still is, pick your battles, uh, because if you want to fight over everything, you'll get nothing. Uh, but I w that is not something that I say out loud very often because a lot of young women would not agree with that. But at the time, we picked a lot of battles that were not for ourselves. They were for other young women. And, you know, the, the other thing that was, from my perspective, that was so interesting, Tamara, was that, look, I worked two blocks away at the Washington Bureau of the New York Times, right? And the New York Times had had white male White House correspondents for 100 years. It was this deeply encrusted uh, stereotype. And you walk two blocks away to NPR. It was young. It was nimble. It was agile. It didn't have anything like the same weight of history. And so the ability of NPR to put women, uh, Nina always says it's partly because NPR didn't pay very well. That's certainly true. It was but, true, but there are, no, there are no men who would have worked for what they paid uh, us. <laughs> but more importantly, NPR was able to reset uh, these 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 models, uh, because Nina and Linda and and, and Koki were part of a of a wave, of, of of a generational wave coming into the business. Before that, there were occasional women. There were the Barbara Walters of the world, but they were the first group in in, in any numbers, and that changed the whole concept 
of what it meant to be a reporter, to have these women in these prominent roles. So NPR not only was important in terms of its own voice, but it served as a model, I think, for many other news organizations around town because um, uh, they changed the stereotype. They changed the image of what it meant to be a, a powerful and important political reporter. We are going to take a quick break. And when we get back, Koki as a mother. And we're back and we're here with Nina and Steve. Um I do want to talk about Koki as a mother. Um, she had children young, sort of had children before her career, which is not the the normal path in Washington. Uh, well, not these days, at least. And um, and she she was frequently giving advice, encouraging women who she worked with uh, not to be news nuns. I think it was. Mm-hmm. And, and also, she, she she had this thing where she gave mothers permission to both be mothers and to be professionals. Oh, I, that's absolutely right. Uh, I think there were generations of women at NPR who married and had children, at least in part, because Koki was so encouraging. And she was such a model. As you say, she had two children, six grandchildren. Um, they were a very important part of, of her life. Um, and she never hid it. She gloried in it. Uh, and so many young women said to me, we wanted to be like Koki. We wanted to be in that club because Koki was in that club. And you mentioned the phrase news nuns. And I had never heard that phrase before I did this book. But so many women said to me, you know, there were women in an earlier age who felt they had to choose between professional accomplishment and personal satisfaction. And to get ahead, you just got to discard your family. And so, so many of these younger women of your generation, Tam, came in and said, wait, that's not the life I want. I want, I also want a family. And she encouraged them very strongly, uh, partly just because of the model, but also because people literally lined up outside her room um, to seek advice. And she also always was, she was a total baby freak. If there was a baby, if there was a baby within her zip code, she found it and and grabbed it. And she was the first person in everybody's maternity ward. I mean, she just loved babies. And there was a young woman named Alana Marcus who was a producer at ABC. And Koki had um, encouraged her to get married, and then she has her first baby. And Koki is the first person in the maternity room, the first person in the ward, scoops up the baby. And starts making the sign of the cross on the baby's forehead. Lana says, Koki, you know that's a Jewish baby. And Koki says, oh, I know, but we're just covering our bases here. I'll just baptize him. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, I remember, I see this all the time still. I mean, Koki um, died two years ago. But her influence lives on in all of these young women. So I once saw... Tamara Keith, for example, I think it was on a stakeout, and she's just she's reading some sort of a children's book to one of her children while she's waiting for whatever she's waiting. I must have been on the hill that day myself, and I saw her, and I thought, uh huh, the the it this is the hand me down, the mental hand me down from Koki. <laughs> so it's there. <laughs> you know, Linda Wertheimer used to because they shared, they covered NPR. Uh, Congress together for many years for NPR. By the way, also, while I was covering the Hill for the New York Times, so we we commuted together, we had lunch together, we covered the same stories together. And Linda talks about being in this cramped little booth on Capitol Hill. Three o'clock would come around and, 
and a alarm would go off in Cokie's head because that's when the kids were coming home from school. And um, Linda says, you know, you would listen carefully and, 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 and Cokie would say, now Rebecca, our daughter, who's now 50, now Rebecca, you had a commitment to go to your piano lesson. You have to go. And, you know, she was juggling like so many moms do, but she wasn't hiding it. And she didn't hide her motherhood and she didn't hide her, her femininity either. A woman named Sarah Just, who worked for years at ABC, is now the producer of the News Hour on public broadcast. Sarah talks about when she worked at Nightline at ABC, and she and Koki would be sitting in a conference room waiting for a meeting to begin, and they would be doing two things. They both did needlework together, and they also would be talking about recipes because they both love to cook. And Sarah tells a story about as the men start filtering into the room, Koki, maybe, maybe we should put away our needlework. Maybe we should stop talking about recipes. Koki says, no. I want them to know that we're women. I want them to know that we're different. I want them to uh, don't put away your needlework and don't stop talking about recipes because she was very clear that she was sending a message to the guys walking into that room, deal with us as women. I thank you so much, both of you, for taking the time to tell us a little bit more about Koki. I mean, she she is coming off as Saint Koki. <laughs> In this interview and in the book, but it's real. Let me let me let me be very clear. She was not a saint. <laughs> and she no. was the first person to tell you that. <laughs> it is it's true. She wasn't a saint. But I think in fairness, uh Koki did among the reasons that she could do so much is that she didn't need a lot of sleep. And so she had more time. She made more time, but she had more time. And there were moments where she leaned on other people. She leaned on Steve. You know, I remember when her sister died, I have them emblazoned in my memory because she was very composed during the funeral. But when we went to the gravesite and it was pouring rain in Princeton, and I remember her literally leaning on Steve and him. I have this vision of him with his arm around her. She le- and she leaned on me sometimes. Everybody needs that sometimes, and you can be that person for other people sometimes. And I can't do it every day. I can't do it as much as Koki did, but I can do it more than I used to, and that's what she taught me. Nina Totenberg, Steve Roberts, thank you so much for being here on the NPR Politics Podcast. Well, it's been a pleasure. Thank you, Tamara. Thank you, Tam. And thank you for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast. Thank you.